Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to take a closer look at one of the most important pro-life stories that's unfolding right now. And that's what's going on in Northern Ireland. Now, the difficulty with explaining what's going on with abortion in Northern Ireland is that the politics in Northern Ireland are famously complicated, and it's very difficult to figure out precisely what is actually going on. People have been asking, is abortion legal there? How is abortion being legalized? What's going on? And so in order to kind of parse through all of these details, I contacted the head of Northern Ireland's largest pro-life group, Precious Life, and She's an absolutely fierce pro-life activist named Bernadette Smith. I met her for the first time back in 2014 when I was speaking at an international pro-life youth conference in California. And I met her again last year when we were on the road, me and several of my colleagues at the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform with the Vote No Roadshow uh, campaigning in the Republic of Ireland leading up to the abortion referendum there. And Bernadette Smith is just, she's just an absolutely wonderful pro-life activist. She's been doing this for more than two decades. And she's one of these people who just seems to never lose sight of exactly what abortion is all about and why it's so important. So she agreed to come on the Van Maren Show and talk a bit about what's going on in Northern Ireland, uh, what the pro-life movement there is doing to fight back, and what we in the international pro-life community can do to help them. So I really hope you'll give this podcast a listen. It's really important to know what's going on in Northern Ireland right now. And to that end, I give you this conversation with pro-life activist Bernadette Smith. So my first question is, how did you get involved in the pro-life movement? I find that everybody has their own unique story, especially when you're interviewing people from around the world. So how did you end up uh, in the pro-life movement full time? Well, I was um, um, very much involved in, you know, my church. I had had um, my faith was very strong, and I was attending prayer meetings. And I was a mother of three children at that time, so my life was pretty good. And you know, um, my husband had a good job, and I worked part time until one day when my life transformed, um, never to be the same again. When I looked into an image of um, a little baby boy that had been aborted. And at that moment, my life transformed forever. It was like in that image, um, a little baby was was screaming out um, to me to fight for the unborn children of this world and to do something. I personally didn't understand the politics of abortion. I was pro-life. But I wouldn't have known what abortion was. Um, but when I looked into that image and realized that my heart was completely broke in a split second and would never be healed and never will be healed until the day abortion ends or the day that God takes me home. Um, and I came back from that particular um, Catholic conference um, and couldn't understand why myself, a mother of three children, um, didn't know what what abortion really was. I mean, I had given birth to three children. I knew um, how sacred life is. I know how precious life is. I know that my I seen my own babies on a scan, 
But when I looked into that image of that baby, I knew there and then that I had to do something. And I knew that moment that, in fact, God was calling me to do something. So when I went home from that, that um, prayer weekend, and I just picked it up at, a, you know, an information stall, the actual leaflet that I that, that had the image of the baby, the aborted baby in it, and, and it's actually in Dublin, Ireland. I picked it up, and I came home and started to real, started to investigate, started to look for more information, and then realised at that time in 1997 that the then um, Labour government for uh, the UK was threatening to legalise abortion in Northern Ireland. And then I started to really um, see how I could how, how I could do something to stop it. But the one thing that I realised was that if I didn't know what abortion really was, um, and 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 I I wouldn't have known the horror of it until I seen the image. Other people obviously didn't know what abortion was. So I took the little pamphlet, the little leaflet I had, and I started to share that with friends and family and people, and we realized that um, we had to do something. So we started to, uh, we met, we, we communicated with Youth Defense at the time, who were, were based in the Republic, and they had just been up and on in a, a, um, a year or so. And we started to work on an all-Ireland um, campaign, which I then launched in Belfast, with the, the large images of the, the little baby victims of abortion, um, and people were just shocked beyond belief that 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 this was that this was what abortion was. So you could say 23 years ago, I took the the reality of abortion out to the, out onto the you know the public highway, uh, the length and breadth of the six counties, and then I started lobbying. Um, and and it was through the street outreach that I started to meet women then who were post-abortive. And, and, and women who were in crisis pregnancy. And then I started to realize then there was nothing here for women. There was no real crisis pregnancy outreach. Um, very few people were lobbying. Very few people knew what abortion was and we needed to raise the profile and bypass the, the media and take this directly to the people. So really what I've been doing for 23 years is, um, doing all the, the pro-life work that has to be done, whether it's challenging the law through the courts, the lobbying at government, organizing public awareness events, being part of the All-Ireland Rally for Life, setting up school campaigns, and now um, our most recent, um, over the last few years, we set up Stanton Healthcare in Belfast, which is um, the head office of Stanton is in Boise, Idaho, in America. Um, and we then became affiliated and set up the first European crisis center here in Belfast. And it's never been busier. And we're saving babies' lives every single day through this um, crisis outreach. But for me, as a pro-life activist, I, I feel that I'm called very much to be out on out on the street, out um, taking, continuing to take these images out um, to the members of the public and changing hearts and minds every single day. And I believe that is how, for the last 23 years, we've been able to keep um, Northern Ireland um, laws the same, we protect our laws, but also we've been able to save so many lives um, and transform so many hearts and minds to to be in pro-life. I set up Youth for Life recently um, also, which is they would be our, our youth um, 
group and they're out active in Belfast City Centre every Saturday whilst um, some of the older members like myself and others are now um, we, are, we, t- we, we go to the other towns and cities and, and just talk about abortion and raise the profile and, and be the voice for the unborn child. So what was it like when you first got the organization <clears throat> started up? You're the, the largest pro-life group in Northern Ireland. Uh, the co- the yeah. tactics that you were using were like, this is what abortion is. You made no apologies for exposing what was actually going on. What was it like to get this organization started up? Because Precious Life is now a very established pro-life group. But like you just described, you're, you're in, Precious Life basically came about because you saw what abortion was and decided to start something in your country that didn't exist. For sure. Um, well, it's been a long 23 years. It's been a, a real challenge and transformation of my life personally. Um, I, I can't say I, I, I probably God was in control because my husband freed me up. Um, to do full-time um, pro-life work and my children um, I, I then had another so I've got four children I, my children are, are, are so uh, they sacrificed their lives to enable me to save little babies one of my sons one time when he was a, a wee toddler said to me when I went to the American March for Life where his birthday is on the 21st of January and obviously the March um, is on so, uh, the March is the 22nd he says well mommy if you were to save one baby's life it would be worth it so it's been it's been tough for my family because I literally um, work morning, noon, and night, um, and have done for 23 years. And it's been tough also because you don't get the support, the moral support that I probably thought I would have right. in the early days. Right. Um, and as years um, as the years progressed, you realise that sometimes you're you know you're very much on your own. Um, in terms of the support of the, the church, um, and and it's like because we we don't compromise because we we literally um, uh, without compromise without uh, apology we're we're standing there strong, and people don't like that. Um, the people in Northern Ireland can be very conservative, and you know it's like don't you know oh don't upset people. Uh, don't you think that could be too extreme? Um, but to me, there's nothing more extreme than the violent destruction of one of my little baby brothers and sisters. So, you know, the, yeah, you, you live that, you live under that attack from the media who want to destroy your, 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 your personality, destroy your reputation. I mean, a couple of years ago, I went through a major court case with Mary Stopes, who told lies, took me to court, found guilty. People turned their back on me, literally. You know, maybe, maybe you're doing it the wrong way, but I knew that God would, would bring, bring a vindication for me, and He did. And when I was vindicated, then that's when I set up the Stanton Healthcare Clinic, uh, here in Belfast. But it, it's, I could never say it's easy because it's not. And there's t- sometimes I wake up and I can't put my feet on the ground to go and fight another battle. And then you know that God gives you the strength. And you, and for me, um, I I still carry that pain in my heart for the for for the little babies that I know I fight for those children like they were my own children. And that moment when I seen that image, I thought I can never rest until these babies are safe. And it doesn't matter whether the babies are here in Northern Ireland, uh, the south of Ireland, England, UK, America, wherever. Um, we are part of a family that has to stand up and be a voice for those um, those little innocent unborn children. And that, 
for me is my life. And uh, as I say, I'm very blessed that, that my husband uh, ble- blesses me to do this. And, and get, he, he does work alongside of me now, thankfully. Um, but for, for years, it was very difficult for him as well because he was, he was running the family. But he sacrificed uh, even his own job to enable me to do this. So it's, it has been tough. But um, I don't I, I don't see that as a sacrifice because we're not the ones whose whose little bodies are being dismembered and poisoned and um, destroyed and binned and, and and treated like rubbish. So it's a small price to give your life in defence and stand in the gap if you were to save only one baby's life. But I know that we save so many babies, and you know when you hold that a baby that you know that God used you used you to save. It's like you cannot ever uh, express that joy as knowing that you saved that baby from a violent death of abortion. So, you know, to be persecuted for that, to me, is nothing to the persecution that little babies in the womb um, receive every single day. And it's not just it's not just a persecution of uh, ignoring their humanity. It's a, mart- a martyrdom of their lives because they're made in God's image and likeness. And that that hits on something really important uh, for pro-life activists, because I think anybody who works in the pro-life movement can can totally relate to what you said about thinking there'd be more support than there is and stuff like that. But uh, I, I, I remember the first time I got to hold a baby um, who was scheduled to be aborted, but whose mother canceled the abortion because she had just walked past our signs showing what abortion actually is, showing a, a baby after after uh, they'd been aborted. And so it's it's those stories that end up keeping pro-lifers going. And so as hard as it's been, you've had, you've had, I'm sure, many exceptional stories over the past couple of decades. Tell us a few of the stories that have really kept you going, uh, the stories that have really helped you realize that, that your work has been blessed and that it's all worth it. Yeah, and one stands out for me in particular, um, a little baby that was um, terminally ill in the womb, um, and I, when I was there at her birth, and she had a, she was, you know, we knew she was only going to live for a few days, and she, her uh, parents were advised to abort her, and and deep down they really didn't want to, but they were being coerced and put under pressure, and somebody through somebody contacted me, and I got speaking to them, and supported them, and really challenged the medical uh, system here and the medical profession to ensure that she was cared for and, and that child was given perinatal care and went on to receive hospice care um, in a children's hospice here. For me, that moment that that baby was born and I was outside the uh, the theatre because she was born uh, through a cesarean section, and just holding that precious little baby who was blind, um who was de- deformed in many ways, um, but the most beautiful, I called her little Pocahontas. She was the most beautiful as little child with really, really dark hair. For me to hold that child, knowing that God had used me to, to save that child, but also knowing that that baby was going straight to heaven. And I whispered in her ear um, to pray for me before the throne of God because the, the, you know, the throne room of grace would be open to that beautiful little, um, angel who was going to God. So, and then she lived for eight days and then I had the, I was able to hold her again. And, you know, she's just one of the most precious stories that I could tell apart from, you know, the joy of seeing a mother, 
who conceived a baby in rape and, and the world cried um, abort that child. But for me to walk the walk with that girl through uh, the whole nine months of the pregnancy and then see this precious little baby being born and her mother looking at you and saying, I'm so glad that I met you. Or when she brought the child to me one day when the child was a few months old to my house, you know, I, I was so excited because she was bringing the little one um, to see me. And when the, when she reached the baby into my arms and the little girl put her head on my shoulder, uh, just like she knew who I was, and her mother's eyes filled with tears and I was overwhelmed. And the mother said, Bernie, it's like as if she knows you. But in my spirit, uh, we were bonded because when... When the world was crying, abort her, she's a rapist child. I was speaking to her mother about saving this precious little baby. And when I looked into the face of that precious child, and, and I've known her now for the last 14 years, and, and witnessed the beauty of that child growing up to, you know, advance in, in, um, in uh, her academic life. She's top of the, uh, the, the year in music and sports. And it's like as if God touches their life in a special way. Not, we know every child is precious. But those are like stories when I look back. They do keep me going. But deep within my whole being, I know that I was called for such a time as this. This is my, this was what God called me into um, this world for. He gave me the time to be married for, for all the years I was married to, to, to bring up, up my children. And I now have six grandchildren as well. One, one who was born at 24 weeks a precious little premature baby that I witnessed being born and struggling to stay alive. Um, her name is Grace. So when I, you know, I, I, my whole life has been made up of different situations that just for me, just keep reminding me and keep reminding me through the tough times, through the hard times and through the times when you just want to go off up a mountain and say, can someone else do this? I can't do it anymore. And then when you get over yourself, brush yourself down, gear yourself back up again, you're back onto another uh, front, uh, you know, another battle front. Um, but I, as I said, I believe that, that that God has called me, and this is this is what He wants me to do in my life, and it's it's a vocation um, that I um, openly embrace, and and I I could not do anything else. I always wanted to be a beautician. Um, okay. I, you know, when I worked in, in retail, because uh, as I was married whenever I was 19, so I was straight into being a, a wife and a mother, and I thought, oh, I'd like to do something nice that make people feel good about themselves. And and when that when that threat or that we nice thought comes to me, wouldn't it be nice just to have a nice job or do something that makes you, people feel good? And then I nearly have to say, catch yourself on, Bernie. You know, that's not what you're called to do. You're called to be bold. You're called, called to be courageous, and you're called to be a voice for the voiceless, God's precious unborn children. So, you know, there there is times that I do have to reflect on, you know, the preciousness of, of, of those babies that have been saved. Um, but at the same time, you know, deep within me, it, that pain is still very much in my heart. Um, and even when I look at an image of um, doing up new signs at the moment for our new uh, Fight Back campaign, and I was just looking at uh, Monica Miller, um, who has amazing signs you know of the babies that she rescued um you know and in the years gone by from her from her outreach outside the dumpsters and the abortion bins um when i look at those images i i, I still have this real you know broken heart um it's, it's, it's just tough it's just tough but we have to be tougher and we have to be stronger 
um, because we have a great God there that is is calling us to do this, and He's with us every step of the way. When uh, most most listeners right now will, will kind of be aware of what's happened in the Republic of Ireland with the Eighth Amendment that was passed in 1983, with the campaign last year where the majority of the Irish public voted uh, to get rid of the Eighth Amendment, the legalization of abortion and everything that's happened there since. A lot of people don't realize that Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland have a different set of laws, and most people won't know uh, what the situation is in Ireland, so uh, in Northern Ireland, I should say. So before we even get to what's happening yeah. right now, uh, could you explain how, how Northern Ireland has kept abortion out for so long? Because most people aren't even aware of, of that situation. Well, abortion has never been legal in, in Northern Ireland, even though we are part of the UK and that's, you know, the history of the division between the, the 32 counties, um, down to 26. 26 counties are the Republic of Ireland and six counties belong to, um, to Britain. So Northern Ireland has always, um, had its own government, even though we're part of the, the Westminster government, but we have a devolved government with devolved powers and, and, and different issues. And one of those devolved powers um, is abortion, where it's always been respected by the Westminster government that uh, the people in Northern Ireland have always been opposed to, to abortion, unlike the UK or, you know, Britain, um, Scotland, um, England, Scotland and Wales, which has um, legalised abortion up to 24 weeks and beyond it for for, uh, in cases of um, uh, fatal abnormality and rape and incest and the life and health of the mother. Whereas for years it's always been recognised since since I formed Precious Life in 1997 and, and at that time when they were threatening to legalise abortion and we, we lobbied, we collected petitions and we brought them um, to our own government on behalf of the people and and since then, petition after petition has shown that the people are opposed to abortion. So we've always had a very strong representation uh, politically at, at our Stormont government and also um, represented at Westminster and um, in uh, the European Parliament. So the world has always known that Northern Ireland um, has always been pro-life. And, you know, during my past experience, there's been amendments put forward by various different um, politicians uh, at Stormont asking asking for a change in the law in, in certain cases, and they've always been um, outvoted. So the, the message, even right up to 2016, from the Stormont government here in Belfast, has uh, the, the last amendment that was voted on was voted against, and there was a, a majority vote that, that opposed any change in the law. So up until recently, that was very much respected and very much uh, acknowledged that there was no will to change the law in Northern Ireland from our political representatives and from the people on the ground. But what happened over the last couple of years, Stormont collapsed and the Sinn Féin government walked away, Sinn Féin party walked away from the government and collapsed the government. So we've been without a, uh, a represented government at Stormont for the last two and a half years. Now, because of that, Amnesty International and others um, have got together and campaigned 
um, very aggressively um, in uh, Westminster, asking for West- Westminster to step in um, to change the law here under the guise of so-called um, human rights, under the CEDAW recommendations. The CEDAW recommended that the law, uh, that uh, Westminster had a duty to uh, bring abortion into Northern Ireland, to bring us in line with the rest of the UK and the rest of the world as such that we were denying women their basic so-called fundamental right to have an abortion. So there has been an aggressive campaign um, from Amnesty International and others to change the law. There has been various different court cases to put pressure on Stormont. But Stormont had, uh, up until 2016, stood firm. At that last vote today, it made it very clear that there was no will to change um, the um, the law here on abortion. So, but there's been threats over the years, continued threats, and so on. Up until recently, last year, there was a number of votes, um, a number of um, amendments and bills that were being used to try to introduce abortion into Northern Ireland from Westminster by by Westminster MPs who were uh, ignoring the democratic process. Um, um, Theresa May, at one particular time, the, the, the Prime Minister, at that, up until yesterday, the Prime Minister of the UK, always uh, respected the democratic process and made numerous um, statements that abortion was a devolved issue and should on, the law should only be changed with the, 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 vote, of the, the vote of the Northern Ireland Assembly um, and the people. And personally speaking, we have presented, as I say, over one particular campaign made up, sorry, one particular petition made up of a number of campaigns. We were, we presented over 300,000, um, various different petition campaigns that clearly showed that the ordinary everyday people on the streets were not in favour of a change to the law. Um, we had numerous campaigns could have been 45,000. And you have to bear in mind, Northern Ireland is only made out of 1.7 million people and taking into consideration you know the, the 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 adults that can sign the petition. That and many of our petitions were were very um, well presented. I think one campaign we presented over I think 99% of those who responded to a consultation through our petition were the ones who who were opposed to a change in the law. So it's been a well known fact that there's been no will to change the law. Court cases have been challenged here. Um, our own Attorney General for Northern Ireland is pro life and has been um, on the ball through various different um, court challenges, um, right through to the Supreme Court in West, in, in London. Um, you know, the decisions even from there, the outcomes of those cases always acknowledge the democratic process. So we're, at this moment in time, we're faced with the imposition of um, a decision taken at Westminster. Um, a, a law was voted on two weeks ago, um, and unanimously, um, the majority of, of people, uh, MPs from Labour and Conservatives, even um, Scottish MPs, voted um, to change the law on abortion in Northern Ireland. In fact, the vote was 30, 30, 332 pro-abortion MPs voted to change the law in Northern Ireland and forced it onto Northern Ireland against the will of 100% of our um, political representatives on behalf of the Northern Ireland people who were present and voted against this bill, um, their views were were, were totally um, ignored. Right. So 
the most un- undemocratic um, decision that was taken. It, it is, you know, in my words, I, I think I said it very clearly that this was the the gravest betrayal of devolution in um, in my memory, and I would say in uh, the memory of, of of any government that one government would override the democratic right of another government and the people uh, and force uh, the most extreme legislation onto people um, who have never who had not been consulted not that i agree that we as people could ever ever be consulted on whether abortion should take place or whether someone would have the right to life but we were just treated like second class citizens it's totally outrageous beyond uh, words it's the most diabolical attack on devolution diabolical attack on the future generation of unborn children in Northern Ireland. Right. Um, and there we have only got between now and the 21st of October. Um, the, the clear statement on this bill is if our government is not back in office by the 21st of October, then this law will be implemented on the 22nd. So let's this back... new law, form of legislation on abortion. Let's back up just a little bit because there's a lot of people who won't understand some of the terms that are being used. And I just want to make sure that all the listeners yeah. get a really good idea of what's going on in Northern Ireland okay. right now. So first, um, for, for the, like I understand what you mean by devolution, but for, for, for the listeners who aren't familiar with it, sort of explain uh, two key things here that, that you mentioned that a lot of people aren't aware of. So you explained... A devolution, which allows the government of Northern Ireland to create its own laws that reflect the will of the the, Nor- the people yeah. of Northern Ireland, and then mm-hmm. you mentioned that you've been without a government for two and a half years since Sinn Fein yeah. walked away. So, um, what is devolution? How can the government walk away, and how can you just have no government for two and a half years? Because, for example, you know Canadians live in a parliamentary democracy, but that will seem very foreign—the idea of not mm-hmm. having a government for two and a half years. So, if you could just explain that, please. Well, I mean, it is pretty difficult to explain um, why we do not have a government, but that is the politics of Northern Ireland. It comes down to um, the Republican movement versus the um, Unionist movement. And there's always been the politics of respect for the Unionist community and the Republican community. Um, the What actually happened was the, the government collapsed because there was, um, uh, under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, and that all, again, can sound very complicated as well to the listeners. I understand that. But um, the people of Ireland, North and South, um, came together. Um, devolution was agreed was an agreement of the Good Friday Agreement. We had a referendum, um, an all-Ireland referendum, on setting up a devolved government that would respect devolution and the principles of uh, equality, civil and political, economic and social and cultural rights, cultural rights um, um, for the people of Ireland, North and South. So Stormont was set up under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement to respect each other's cultures. And what actually happened um, two and a half years ago, the one culture called for um, an Irish language, um, and again, this sounds very complicated as well, an Irish language, that the other, um, uh, the unionist community were opposed to because the, we fight against, you know, the right to be unionist and the right to be Irish, to be Northern Irish and to be a unionist party. And the unionist party were opposed to this Irish language being introduced into the culture. 
So the this this whole um, collapse of our government came about because one community was opposed to respect and the other the other person's so-called cultural right to to uh, Irish language. Um, and the Westminster government, who are ultimately the overall superior government um, over Northern Ireland and the UK, have been trying to negotiate agreements with the um, with the members of, the, of our politicians here, um, and they have been unable to get the government up and running. Devolution happened between the Good Friday Agreement, following the Good Friday Agreement. The British government decided to devolve certain powers to Northern, the Northern Ireland government. Right. One was under policing injustice, and policing injustice contained the uh, Criminal Justice Act, which was the right to protect the, the, the unborn children. It's a criminal offence to have an abortion in Northern Ireland. So they devolved that that particular law to Northern Ireland, meaning that we and we alone had had the right to make laws regarding abortion in particular. Um, and even though the Westminster government hasn't taken back devolved powers, they just decided to overrule the government, even though our government is not effectively uh, suspended, it's just downed for talks. They decided that that was an opportunity to introduce abortion into Northern Ireland um, and, and, and railroad over the actual um, elected politicians right. who are still elected but are not in office at this time. So it's actually really, really very bizarre to try. It's a difficult situation to try to explain to people. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the politics of Northern Ireland. It's like stemming from, you know, the years of troubles, you know, our, our, our past history. Uh, they call it the troubles when we didn't have peace. Um, we've been in peace um, and the Good Friday Agreement was the peace agreement. Um, that the people signed up to to say, you know, well, we have a right to be Irish citizens, we have a right to be British citizens. Here in Northern Ireland, we have a dual nationality. We can be British and we can be Irish and we can be both. So the Good Friday Agreement was about respecting the equality of political and economic, social and cultural rights. Um, and really what's happened, um, they've all been undermined. And now we have, Britain have taken over and decided they know what's best. For, for Northern Ireland, and they, they, they hijacked that bill by introducing abortion um, and gay marriage into um, a bill that was only uh, meant to set budgets and, and discuss um, future elections. Um, and, and, and before we knew it, the bill was agreed and abortion was voted on. So I don't know if I'm explaining that very yeah, well. Yeah, no, that, that, no that, that makes a lot of sense. And to take it one step step forward now, yeah. Um, because during during the Troubles, uh, the Sinn Féin party was the Irish Republican Party. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things that I have found very interesting, because um, as you know, I, 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 I met you, I think, for the first time in 2014, but then we met again during the referendum last year. Yeah. Uh, I forget which city it was. It was on the Vote No Road show um, yeah. in the Republic somewhere. But a, a lot, of, a lot of the the pro lifers, especially a lot of the Catholic pro lifers in Ireland, are very Republican, and and during the Troubles, Sinn Fein represented a lot of the Irish Republicans. And now, however, that's changed, and that's been very interesting for for somebody to watch because I saw Irish Republicans talking about 
how they were voting unionist. Uh, there were there were yeah. quite a number of volunteers in the Republic of Ireland um, who were who were uh, Catholic, who were Republican, and they were kind of saying almost almost under their breath. Um, you know, like, don't, don't ever tell my grandfather, uh, or my grandmother, yeah. but I actually vote unionist now because they're the only ones who are willing to protect Northern Ireland's pro-life laws. And yeah. I, I asked one pro-lifer, so how did, how did the Sinn Féin party, which was, um, Catholic first and then Republican, how did it turn into the party pushing for the legalization of abortion? And he said he thought that it was maybe when, uh, when when a lot of them spent time in jail during during the troubles and were infected by Marxism, um, which kind of polluted uh, their their Catholic and their Republican beliefs. But it, it's this very strange situation now where Irish Republicans are voting unionist and the Sinn Féin are, as I understand it, endorsing this move by the British to overrule the independence of Northern Ireland and bring an abortion, which should be anathema both to an Irish Republican and to an Irish Catholic. Well, it's that, and that is a hundred percent truth. Because what's actually happening here in Northern Ireland is that, yeah, people who would be traditionally Republican are now voting for Unionists because the Unionist community here in Northern Ireland, the Unionist politicians, um, are pro-life politicians, and they are the ones that have kept um, the the unborn child safe for all these years. And I think it, it shows very clearly that the people here were willing to set aside their strong Republican uh, values um, to vote for a party because they see the right to life as paramount. The right to life is the most important fundamental right. And, and I think that's what has happened, that people are saying, you know, uh, the politics of the past should not influence the future lives of, of innocent unborn children. And shamefully, Sinn Féin, who call themselves an All-Ireland Republican Party, went over to Westminster last year after the Irish referendum vote to um, to allow abortion in, in the Republic of Ireland for the first time. And they went over to ask the Westminster government to um, uh, to bring abortion, to, to extend abortion to Northern Ireland. Um, so it's like unheard of. You know, the, people would say they're traitors. They're traitors to to the cause when they don't take their seats. They stand for election in Northern Ireland to the Westminster government, but don't take their seats at Westminster because they don't they don't um, respect nor acknowledge that the Westminster, Westminster government is um, a government to be um, acknowledged or, or or to to dictate. To, to people, they just say they, they don't accept that Westminster government have the authority because they, you know, because of the the the, the takeover of the six counties, the taking of the six counties. Right. But yet they went over to Westminster last year. Mary Lou Sinn Féin leader and Michelle O'Neill, the, the Sinn Féin deputy, who's the the leader of the party in the north, and they went over to the the um, the the, um, the west or the politicians at uh, Westminster and asked them. How they could bring abortion, how you know the how they could uh, bring abortion to the north, and they signed a letter um, to say that they agreed that Westminster should legalize abortion here, decriminalize abortion, meaning yeah. to undermine the laws, to to set aside the laws, to vote over the laws, and allow abortion to be legal here, um, and take away the protection of the unborn child. So people are people are very people are outraged at this. But the reality of it is not enough people 
know what abortion is. Not enough people are outraged enough to stop voting for them. And the reason for that is is Republicans versus Unionists. So some people are still pro-life, but Republican, and they want Sinn Féin in office. Um, so they will even set aside their pro-life values. Right. But others will be uh, so pro-life that they will set aside their Republican values and vote for Unionists. Um, right. Because they believe that the right to life is the most important right above all. You know, if you haven't the right to be born, how can you be the right to be Irish or to be unionist or have the right to an Irish language or respect for your culture if you if we deny the fundamental right to life? And that is something that people are so blind um, off here that, you know, that they don't even see that we have a Republican movement that doesn't cherish all the children of Ireland equally. In fact, they've, you know, they, they campaigned to, to change the law in the South and now they have, they have actually got the Westminster British government to do their dirty work by overriding the democratic views of the people here. It's a terrible situation that, that will, history will cry out for revenge for what has actually happened here. Um, but I can only say I, I'm doing everything that I can. And, and I suppose your next question would be, what's your fight back campaign about? Yeah, yeah. The, the, just before I get to the fight back yeah. campaign, the one thing that I wanted to ask you, just because it looks to an outside observer like myself, like the Sinn Féin actually wants Westminster to force abortion in so that they don't have to face the voters on the abortion question. Is that accurate? That is 100% true, because they now know they will not have to, in future campaigns and future elections, have to say that they were responsible for changing the law on abortion here. All they have to say is, well, we didn't have any say in the matter because right. the Westminster government imposed it on Britain here, but the, the, or imposed it on Northern Ireland. But that takes me to where we're at at this moment. Yeah. Because the, the Republican people who vote for Sinn Féin have an onus, as well as the Unionist people who vote for the DUP, the onus is on them to tell these parties as, uh, as, as their constituency members that they must get the government, they must be in government by the 21st of October to, see, to, to safeguard the future generations of unborn children. Because if these two parties don't come together and form a government by October the 21st, then we will have abortion legalized in Northern Ireland because of these two parties and because of the apathy of people who vote for these these parties vote, vote them into power if they don't rise up in opposition to save lives. So the, you know, the battle isn't over yet as such, but it's a very short window of opportunity for us even as activists to put into place, uh, to go out into the Republican areas, to plead with the Republican people and the Unionist people to say, can you set your, your differences aside? Can you come together and form a government to prevent this um, law from this evil, diabolical law from being implemented and the future uh, children of Ireland to be aborted? So, like, we've got, like, August, um, August, September and part of um, October to do this. So it's like, it's an all-out war um, uh, to protect the future children. So, um, you know, history certainly is, is in the making at this time. And we really, really feel in our hearts that if we, we have to do everything we can to prevent this um this diabolical law from being implemented on the 22nd of October. And what do you think the chances are of this of this working, right? So you've got the Fight Back campaign. There's so many people on the ground that do agree with you. 
What yeah. are the chances do you think of of managing to persuade enough people to force the politicians into coming to the table to prevent abortion? Because I feel like, like a lot of the unionists would be willing to do so. But do you think that the Sinn Féin will be willing to come back to the table, even if the unionists propose concessions on the Irish language, because the Sinn Féin actually just wants this to happen without their fingerprints being on it expressly? Well, I I don't know. Um, I just know there has to be a lot of pressure placed on these parties. Um, I, I can't say. I, um, for me, Sinn Féin wanted abortion legalized. They wanted gay marriage legalized. They got what they wanted. So the only thing left on the table now is the Irish language. Right. I think that could be easily remedied. I think that could be easily agreed by the DUP and Sinn Féin. Uh, something could come from that. But whether they will do it before the 21st of October, whether the pressure that we want to put on them, and, and it is all out pressure because we literally will have to be out every, every week and hour, um, talking to people, leafleting, um, houses, you know, organizing, you know, our, um, our awakening campaign to awaken the, the, the people here to the, to, to the reality what, of what could happen. We, we need people to be on the phones. We need people to be, you know, outside their offices. Um, we just need so much work to be done. I, I couldn't say, I can't say whether I believe this will happen. I, I, in faith, I, I really would, would say that I know that, the, that God can do the impossible. Right. Uh, it is an impossible, um, situation that we are in at this time. But I, I do believe with faith and action united together with um, God's people um, and ordinary people of no faith or, or, or any coming from any religious background who have a real, really a heart for the unborn child and believe in the human rights to be, to be protected in, in law, policy and practice. I do believe people will rise up. I think that um, having this um, event that we're having and now, the, the March for, for the Babies, um, now we have a date for that. The only date that we could actually get was the 7th of September. Um, and I believe that maybe got r- rallying the people uh, will activate the people um, to, to actively work between from the 7th of September right through to challenge these two parties. Um, and I, I do believe in miracles and I do believe that we still have hope. Um, but the impo- it, it, it will be against the impossible because these parties have dug their heels in. One has got what they wanted because of the, the Westminster government's imposition of these two two laws. Um, the other one has issues with the Irish language. Um, but whether or not they, they continue to, to be so stubborn um, and the price will be the future um, lives of innocent unborn children and the blood will be on their hands, I really hope and pray that this doesn't happen, and that's why I want to put everything in place. Um, if I had a crystal ball and look to look through it, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I want to see the future because I just believe in faith. I right. believe in action, and I believe that we must do everything that we can because we cannot have the blood of the future generation of unborn children's on, uh, blood on our hands, and we cannot have the weight of, of that on our conscience. But uh, we we will move on to the next generation. Um, to continue to do everything we can to protect these babies. But I do believe that there is hope. We still have hope. Um, maybe that sounds like I'm taking it back and giving it one way and taking it back another way. Mm-hmm. But it's like we don't know. We, we just don't know. We just have to live in hope and, and keep doing what we're doing.
Final question would be, what do you want the international pro-life movement to know? There's a lot of people from around the world who are in the pro-life movement who listen to this podcast. I know that you'll want them to be to be praying for what's going on in Northern Ireland. Uh, do you want to direct them uh, to a website? How, how can how can people help you? Well, um, I know if I uh, look back to how the international community helped um, the Irish people um, through the referendum, um, and sadly, it was the Irish people who voted on that referendum in that referendum to bring in abortion. We haven't voted um, to bring the killing of our unborn children, so we have an opportunity here, but it's going to take a lot of manpower. Um, it's going to have to take a lot of people to help us even, um, for people to come from other countries um, to come and help us uh, on the ground with the, the fight back campaign that, that, that has to take to the length and breadth of the six counties. Um, yeah, absolutely. Prayer, if they can, if they can offer um, some sort of um, funding uh, in any way that we can, because we know we have time is of the essence. So everything we do now matters. Every every penny we we fundraise for it will matter. It means that we can um, use the big. We can use billboards. We can pay for our own advertising. We can um, print leaflets and go out into the communities and leaflets. We can. Um, uh, you know, put this march for the babies uh, uh, that will give um, a platform for the next um, six weeks after that to activate all our campaigns. So apart from praying, if there's someone listening that feels in their heart that God is maybe calling them to sacrifice um, a month of their, their life or a few weeks of their life to come over to help us to, to roll their sleeves up and get out in the community and be part of the making of history here, which I do believe we can do. Um, if we have the manpower, we have the willpower, but the willpower uh, sometimes is not enough without the manpower, and the manpower also needs um, the, the, the financial and the spiritual support to activate them. And I do truly believe that God says where there's a will, there is a way. And the will is very much for us to fight, uh, to fight back against this threat. And I really believe in my heart that um, prayer is the most effective weapon that we have in this battle. But some people feel helpless just by praying. So if those people don't think prayer is enough, then they can contact um, Precious Life. We have the contact our, our, our website. You can do an online um, uh, information. You can contact us online under www.preciouslife.com. You can message us on our, our Facebook page. Um, you can telephone um, the office. You can offer your help. Um, whatever way you feel God inspires you. Um, and that could be, you know, through activism, through through the prayer and through the, um, the financial support. Um, but we will continue to fight on because um, we are the only voice the, the children have and um, the future of, of those innocent lives depends on what we do now. Well, Bernadette, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much for giving me this platform. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Bernadette Smith, the head of Precious Life in Northern Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We hope you'll join us again next week. And if you need to take a look at a past podcast, if you want a place where you can find great news on social conservative issues, head over to LifeSiteNews.com where you can check all of that out. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.